Good morning. It's really good to see all of you this morning. Um, as we've been joining together again, we've had to, our uh, gatherings have looked a bit different. Um, and this morning, this is the first time we've been able to have the scriptures read up here. And I'm really excited that we're able to do this again because it's such a beautiful picture that the scriptures, the word, is above everything that we do here at Village. Um, yeah. We are going to be reading from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, be great if you could turn with me and read along. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for us again um, before we go on. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Uh, we uh, just want to thank you again, Lord, that the success of your church is not based on um, numbers, how many can, can come. Uh, the success of your church is not based on, on, on how great a sermon is preached. Um, the success of your church is based on you, Lord, uh, on your power, on your grace, and what you've done for us. Um, let us rest in that this morning, Lord. Um, May we decrease so that you can increase. Uh, and may we leave today um, just being more astounded by uh, what you've done, God, and what you're doing and what you've done for us. Um, we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, so we're uh, in our Family Traits series, and we do this short series every year, uh, really just to remind ourselves what we're doing who are we? Uh, what are we meant to be? What's the purpose uh, of this community? Um, and really the reason we do this series every year, uh, it's not just for the new folks that have come along in the last 12 months, although it's helpful uh, for you. Um, I think it's even more important for those of us who have been around for years. Um, because if you're like me, we tend to, to be consumers um, that's every part of our kind of Western culture points us to being consumers, uh, to, to come, uh, be entertained, get comfortable, uh, be served, consume. Um, I really think that's what Satan wants for you, what he would like for, for us. He um, doesn't mind that you come to church, that's fine. Uh, he just wants you to, to be a consumer, though, um, to, to think of this as something that uh, you maybe even just satisfies your, your conscience. Um, uh, be entertained, whatever like that. But that's not what Jesus' church is about. Um, so this is why we do this, to dig in, uh, to refocus us again, uh, remind us what the purpose of all this is. Uh, i read you our, our vision statement again. Uh, Village Church desires to be a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus, love each other, love our city of Belfast as we join God in the renewal of all things. Um, said last week, you can just wrap that whole um, uh, vision statement up in three words, which is gospel, community, and mission. That's what we do. I uh, had that Venn diagram last, last week where these three spheres overlap, and where they overlap is where we want to be, um, a people who are shaped by the gospel into a community, uh, and we're a community of love for Jesus, each other, our neighbors. Um, that's really where this tangible kingdom, this incarnate kingdom is uh, found uh, last week we looked at gospel. Uh, go listen to that again if you want to uh, be reminded. Um, I don't have enough time to, uh, to go through all that again, but the gospel is we are shaped by the gospel. It's an event that changes everything for us. It flips everything upside down. Um, it's actually uh, not just an event that we look at, but it's the lens through which we see uh, the whole world. It shapes the way uh, we uh, feel and do and think and, and everything. So, uh, this morning, we're going to look at that second sphere, uh, which is community. 
I can't wait to get into Hebrews because the, the normal kind of preaching we do is we'll take a chunk of Scripture and just kind of preach our way through it. These topical ones, although it's not bad to preach topical from time to time, they're hard. Uh, community, preach on that. You're like, flip, that's, <laughs> that's like the, the story of the Bible is that. So um, I'm going to try to teach you the, the, the Bible this morning, um, like the, all of it. Um, so uh, there's, there's lots of different types of community uh, in, in our city and through our world, different groups that you can be part of. Uh, but really, the, what the Bible story teaches us that this community, the, the Christian community called the church, it, it's different from every other community in the world. Um, and there's a few reasons that make the church a distinct community. Um, don't have time to cover them all, but uh, one of those reasons is that this community isn't really a community that you uh, just decide that this is a great people to, to kind of join on to. It's not like a club that you, that you join in. It's actually a family that you are born into. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's like an identity, we talked about this last week, that you've been given. Um, I'm just going to read you Titus 2, 11 to 14. Uh, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We're, we're looking to Jesus again. Um, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, this, this gospel-shaped people again, uh, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, Him who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, this, this gospel again. He gave Himself, it's this what He did to, to bring us out of this, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works, who are zealous to, to live in light of the gospel, to be shaped by that. But he's, he, he's redeemed us. He gave himself to, bring, to, to make for himself a people for his own possession. Um, Paul's emphasis here is not that Christ, he didn't come to create for himself a, a people, a, a community, and that's it. But, but he came to, to, to create a people who would be his, to be his people, his possession. Um, the Bible doesn't teach that um, faith in Christ just pops up these individual believers. Um, he, what, what happens is he creates you into a people. So you don't become saved and then decide to join the people of God. You, you're, you're, you're born into the people of God. It's, it's who you are. Um, this is, uh, remember, Ephesians 2 teaches this again. Ephesians 2.13, you, now you've been uh, in Christ Jesus, you've been, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 19 says, you're no longer strangers and aliens scattered throughout the world. You're now fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of this household of God. That's who you are. Um, this new birth reality. You've been born again into this family. Welcome little one, you have a little baby, you're now part of this family. This is, this is who you are. And, and Titus tells us that we're not just a people, we're people for God's possession. We're, we're his people. And, and really, that's what sets us apart. Um, and I want I to just kind of show you that this has been God's plan all along. Um, the, the first part of the sermon is to show you God's plan for creation. His plan was always to create for himself a people that would be his and that he would be theirs. Um, this is the story of the Bible. God fulfilling this promise. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Um, John Stott wrote this. This is what I kind of want to unpack. He says, The church lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. Let that sit with you for a minute. The church, not what you're part of, but who you are, this people, lies at the very center of the eternal purposes of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident on history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for His purpose, conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity. It's not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build His church. That is to call out of this world a people for His own glory. His purpose has always been to create for himself a people, a community that would be his, and he would be their God. Um, and I just want to, the, the bulk of the sermon is going to, I just want to show you that that's always been the purpose. That's always been his plan. Um, and I want that to, to not just 
um, to go through this, and it's going to be kind of Bible lecture, part sermon. I, I don't want it to just be knowledge for your head. I want what we talk about to kind of fill your heart again um, and give you a, kind of grow your affections again. So um, let's go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 uh, is where we have to start when we're looking at community. Um, I'm going to read you verse 26 as we make our way through the rest of Scripture. Uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over everything, the fish of the sea, uh, the birds, the livestock, everything that creeps. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Um, you're familiar with this, Genesis 1, this is creation narrative, um, and I've talked about this before, but uh, what I love about Genesis 1, that creation narrative, is all through his creating the universe, He's, he does it by speaking, speaking words of commands, let there be light, let the waters be gathered up, let there be vegetation, and it just happens, these words of commands, um, but when he, he goes to creating humanity, he stops speaking words of commands, and he begins to gauge in conversation, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, this, this plural language, this communal language. That, that language shows us that God is personal, but He, he exists in community. Um, this, this is the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, uh, existing eternally in this perfect loving union, um, this perfect community. And, and uh, there's I think there's two sides of what it means to, to be an image bearer of God. There's probably a lot of implications of that. But uh, firstly, humanity created in God's image, it means that this, it's this communal nature. We were created to be relational beings. We were created male and female to be together, to, to, to grow and to, to be a community, um, not just isolated individuals. We were created to exist in community. Um, that's what it means to be made in God's image because He is community. Um, another element of what it means to be made in His image, to be made after our likeness in that way, is we were made to experience what He experiences. What He has always experienced is perfect loving community, Himself, really. And we, we were made to exist in community with one another, but also we were made to be in community with God, to, to know Him. I will create for myself a people, and I will be their God in that way. Um, Genesis 1 is the, the, the Trinitarian community graciously extending communal life to us. You can really summarize Genesis 1 with, A, we were made for community, to be a people, not isolated individuals, but a people, and also we were created to know God, a people who know God. So God's purpose in all of creation was to create a, a people who would know Him. We were made, your original purpose for, for creation was for you to, to be God's people, enjoying God alongside one another. Um, keep going through the story, you get to Genesis 3. We covered the fall last week, uh, where really this perfect community with each other and with God is broken. Um, you know the story, Adam and Eve, enjoy this garden, cultivate it, um, uh, go forth, uh, Eat, enjoy it, eat of any tree except the one tree. Um, chapter 3, they disobey, they partake of the one tree. Um, and, and really the result of that disobedience of, of sin is broken community with God and each other. And I kind of tried to show that last week, but um, let me read you verses 6 to 10 of Genesis 3 uh, to show you this. So when the, woman ate, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to, to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her, 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 to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened. Listen to this. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This, this separation that enters the world is because of their sin. What you see from that text is community between Adam and Eve is, is broken. So they, they, they're hiding themselves from one another. They, they hide their nakedness. Um, it, that spreads, and it gets worse and worse. So the next chapter, 
uh, Cain, and that Cain kills his brother Abel. There's this, this, this separation between them, this broken community. Um, you also see from that text that because of their sin, community between them and God was broken, so they hide themselves from God now. They're, they're no longer able to walk with God in the garden. Um, they, they hide themselves. We see they are expelled from His presence because He is holy and they're not. Um, there's no enmity between God and humanity. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. Remember, we're, we're alienated from God in that way. Keep reading. You get to Genesis 15, um, where God, even though there's this separation, there's this alienation between the two, um, still, he still loves, there's still grace and mercy. He still, he still wants to create for himself a people. Um, so he approaches humanity. He promises Abraham uh, that it's going to be through his family line that uh, this uh, restoration of broken community would, would, would happen. Um, so it's through Abraham's children and children and all these descendants that um, God's going to show the world again who he is, this promise of people, of a restored community. Um, I love the point of, of Abraham and Sarah's story, though. God approaches them to do this, to create a family that's going to be his people. Um, and the point of this story is really central to how God would mend this broken world. Um, he approaches Abraham and Sarah, who are this elderly couple, a barren woman and an elderly, impotent man. It's them. God promises this great family. Um, you ever ask yourself, why did he approach them? Why did he approach someone who's like 100 years old and a 90-year-old wife? Um, the reason is that God is demonstrating that His promise of salvation will be achieved through His power and grace, not through humanity's ability. And so Abraham and Sarah are literally unable to achieve God's pur uh, purposes here. And you actually find out when they try to achieve it, they really mess things up. Um, but in Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 21 verse 1 says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah... As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. The Lord did this. It's the Lord's goodness and it's the Lord's grace and his power that he's going to achieve this. Tim Chester writes, this is going to be a central theme to the Bible story, the story of promise. God achieves his purposes not on the back of human achievement and ability, but through his grace. And you see this happen through the rest of the Bible, um, God choosing to, to grow this family, to restore community through these families that repeatedly experience infertility. Um, the, these elderly, barren women displaying, displaying God's power and His grace. He, he, he eventually goes even further uh, and, to, and displays His grace through a child being born from a virgin. It's not through humanity's achievements and, and abilities. It's going to be through his grace and his power that he's going to restore uh, this broken community. Uh, so God makes that promise to Abraham. Um, the promise is not just to be a people, but to be a, a people who would know God, uh, a people who would have communion with God again. Keep reading. You have Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, God's presence with them. And they're receiving righteousness through faith, so this is important. Um, that The blessing is not just to be a people, but to be a justified people, a people who are made right with God again. It's really important. Um, keep reading the story. You get to, to Exodus, where we're told this family, Abraham's family, has, has, has grown. They're fruitful. They're multiplied. Exodus 1.7 says they filled the land, so this people have become a nation um, he's doing it, they're growing, and they're a people, but in Exodus we see they're an enslaved people. They're in captivity, they're not free, they're certainly not free to worship God. Pharaoh has restrained them, but really the story of Exodus is uh, the story of God remembering his promise to Abraham and then acting to, to keep that promise. Um, he delivers the people of Israel from slavery, brings them out of captivity, uh, Exodus 6-7 is really the heart of why God delivers them. Uh, God tells Moses to deliver really this message to Israel. He says, I am the Lord your God. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you uh, from slavery to them. I will redeem you 
with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. He's doing the same thing that he's, that uh, it's, it's, it's what we learn from, uh, from how he's going to save us from Abraham, uh, from Abraham and Sarah. It's, I will do it. It's going to be my power. It's going to be my grace that I'm going to deliver you from this. But verse 7, he says it again. He's going to do this for this reason. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That's why he's doing it. To, 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 to make a people his and that they would know him. So he's not only going to redeem them from something, slavery, he's redeeming them to something, which is to know him. He's continuing that promise, I will be their God and they will be my people. And you read the rest of that story and God is, is going to move with them through the desert. Um, the, 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 he gives them the tabernacle, uh, with them on their journey. Eventually they settle in the land and they, uh, the, the temple is built, this, this, this symbol of God's presence with his people. And, but at this point in the story, um, true and full community, what God wants to do, to, which is to be with his people and his people to be theirs and them to know them, you're getting a glimpse of this, but it's not fully fulfilled yet. It's just a, a kind of shadow that's pointing towards something greater. Um, God, God, he's established a, a people at this point, uh, but really the, Israel's pointing forward to something to come because you see that God's promise of I will be their God, they will be my people is not fulfilled. Um, it, it's pointing towards something. That their, their rescue from Egypt, God bringing them out of Egypt, is just a picture of this, uh, this greater redemption that God intends for his people. Um, you see, the nation of Israel is God's people, but there's still a barrier between them and God. They're, they're still not experiencing true and full community with God uh, because you, have, you still have this root problem of sin that, that needs to be dealt with. This death is still there. So through, uh, in the Old Testament, you, they, you have them ritually having to purify themselves, having to clean themselves in order to, to enter into God's presence in the temple. Um, there's these sacrifices that need to be made because of their sin, these are just reminders that, that their sin does still cut them off from God. God is present with his people, but, it, but you read the story, and it's hardly this intimate relationship that he, that he intends for them. Israel's pointing forward um, also because um, they themselves are not fully faithful. Um, they're, they're continually turning from him. Their communion isn't isn't real communion because they keep turning their backs on him. They, they keep, they, they, really, you, you read his, uh, Israel's history and it's plagued with idolatry, constantly rejecting community with God. So you have this issue of how can this holy God live among sinful and idolatrous people? So you have these sacrifices for atonement of their sin. You have this introduction of priests to be a mediator between the people and the God to represent God to the people and the, and the people to God. These are rituals that they have to achieve uh, in order to be holy. Um, you keep reading and, and things get really bad for them. Uh, the, the Israel's a kingdom that divides. There's more golden calves, more idolatry. Um, eventually they end up back in captivity, back in, uh, in, in slavery. Keep reading and you get to the prophets. Um, the prophets... These, these men who speak uh, on behalf of God, delivering God's message to uh, God's people. And you have the, the text that we read in Jeremiah where God makes this new covenant, uh, a new promise uh, with his people. And, and the reason he's, he's, he's giving this new promise is because they, they were unfaithful before. They continued to turn their back on him. Um, read that again. Genesis, uh, Jeremiah 31 uh, 31 to 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, that they were unfaithful to, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the, with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And he says it again, I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
And no longer, this is really important, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here's how, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God makes this new promise, but, but at the, the heart of this new promise is really, it's, it's the core of the promise that he made to Abraham of, I will be your God and you will be my people. It says this was his intention in Eden and it always has been and it still is here. But the new promise, what makes the new promise different is, is the people will no longer need a mediator between them. They, they will all know God from the least to the greatest. And the reason they'll be able to is because that sin barrier, God's going to deal with that once and for all. They won't have that sin anymore. They won't, ha- they won't have that unholiness, that uncleanliness in order to be in His presence. And you keep reading and you see how He achieves that promise, okay? And it's going to be the, the same way that he, do- that he did it for Abraham and Sarah, not through their abilities, but through His grace and His power um, it's the same way Israel's story showed us the same. When it was down to, to, to us to be faithful, we'll fail every time. So how does God achieve this new promise? Through Jesus, through, through sending Jesus. Um, in Jesus, we have the promise fully fulfilled, both sides of the covenant. Um, firstly, um, uh, the Firstly, because Jesus is God with us, okay? And so remember, Israel pointed forward because the, the promise of God wasn't fully fulfilled in their experience. They still experienced separation to God. Um, there was still um, that kind of uh, barrier there. But Jesus is the promise fulfilled because Jesus is God with us, God incarnate. Matthew 1, 23 the virgin will be the child, and we will give, uh, and she will give birth to the son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Colossians two nine to ten says, "For in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God, lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ." Jesus fulfills the promise of of God being with us because Jesus is God with us. Jesus also fulfills the other side of the promise that uh, of they will be my people. This is what Israel could never accomplish. They were the unfaithful bride, um, over and over again, turning from God, rejecting community with God. Um, they were unable to be f- the, the faithful people of God. And, and remember, this is, this is our condition. This is the human condition. Um, we've all abandoned God. None of us have been consistently faithful to Him. When we read Israel's history of, of unfaithfulness, that's, that's our story. That's our history. We read, it, ultimately, there's only, there's only one person who is fully faithful to the very end, and that's Jesus Christ. Even Jesus' closest disciples abandon Him in the end. Matthew 26, 31, Jesus says, This very night you will, uh, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And that's what you see. His close disciples, see you later. It's only Jesus who is faithful to the end. Tim Chester writes, the faithfulness of Jesus to the end, even to death, means those he represents are counted faithful. That's the good news. The faithfulness of Jesus to the very end even to death, means those he represents are counted faithful. We call on God's name and be his people. We can say the Lord is our God. Through Jesus' faithfulness, we are counted faithful. That's that great exchange on the cross. His faithfulness being counted as ours and our sin being counted as his. Through trust in Jesus' name, we become part of the faithful remnant. We become that immovable rock that stands against God's enemies. We share in the salvation that God promises to his people. That's amazing. I will be their God and they will be my people. I want you to see that this, that, that's the story of the Bible. That's the, that's the story of what creation was for and what God has been working out all along. And Jesus is the one who actually fulfills that promise. He is God with us, and He's also God's faithful people. 
Chester, he continues, he says, he is the per- Jesus is the personification of the people of God as they should be, and so through his faithfulness, he saves the people for himself. He gathers Israel to himself and brings salvation to the ends of the earth. That's, that's what God promised Abraham's family would do. The New Testament portrays Jesus as both, with, uh, as both God with us and as God's faithful people. He, he represents both sides of the covenant. He is truly God with us, and He is truly the faithful remnant of God, the faithful one. And as God's faithful one, Jesus creates a new people who know God. 1 Timothy 2 says there's only one God and there's one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus, the faithful one. He brings both parties together. Jesus creates a new people who know God. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's Jesus. The promise has been fulfilled in Jesus. And you're back to Ephesians 2 again, really. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has, who has made us both one. He's writing to, to, to Greeks, to Gentiles here, those who are really far off. Um, for, he is, uh, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new community in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. How does he do this? Through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility, mending that broken community. And he came and and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him, through this mediator, we both have access to one, uh, in one spirit, to the Father. We now have, have relationship with God. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. You should, be, you should almost feel sick of hearing that the last few weeks, but it's true. You are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, all the people being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into what? A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's incredible. It's the church, the people who Jesus have brought near through his blood. It is the church where God dwells with his people. That's where his presence is. We are people for God's presence. The church is this new Israel. We, we, We are to live as God's people, his chosen people, his treasured possession. We're, we're to live as, as, as people who no longer experience that, that separation and enmity with God. We are now united with Christ. We are, we are counted as faithful, as righteous. We're a new people experiencing true and lasting community with God and each other. But that's not even the end of, of the story because there's more to come still. And this, this is the, uh, this kind of here but not yet reality that we live in. And so in Christ we are counted as righteous. There's nothing that can change that. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. That's the end of it. His righteousness is now yours. You can't take that away from you. We are the, the, the church is, will be the faithful bride of Christ. We are now the dwelling place of God's spirit. His presence is with his people we still experience the brokenness, don't we? They're, they're, we still, we're still moving to something greater. If, if the church is this new people, then what we have is new creation being this new humanity. And you get into Revelation thir- uh, 21. You have the new heaven, new earth. The, the bride of Christ is presented. And verse 3 says, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. And he says it again here. The same promise all through Scripture. He says, they will be his people and God himself will be with them 
and be their God. He himself will be with them and be their God. The result of that is, well, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. For all eternity, the promise will be reality. God will live among his people. What I mean is I don't want that story to just be knowledge in your head. It should fill your heart. And I want you to see that that community, the church, Christian community, this people who know God, who are treasured by God, who are chosen by Him, who experience Him without that barrier of sin, that's always been God's plan in creation. That's why we take community serious. It's not just this, what do we want our church to be like? Welcoming community. That's not it. This has been, it's, a, it's a cosmic, eternal purpose that the church lies smack dab in the middle of. That kind of gives church's family a deeper meaning, doesn't it? It's not just a tagline. Come to village where church is like family. It's cool. It's an eternal reality. That's why we preach over and over again that church isn't a building. Church isn't an event that you attend. It's not a place you enter. It's not a service. It's a people. It's you. You are the church. You are God's people, the place where His presence dwells. I wonder, is that your view of church? Do you value the church in a way that is informed by that? This people, this community that, quote Stott again, says, lies at the center of the eternal purposes of God. That's significant. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. Not just you individually, but, but you. This, this community is priceless to Jesus. He literally gave up everything, everything in order to obtain this community. And, and I'm talking about this community. Yes, the church global. Jesus loves the church. He loves the people of God. But, but the, the same is true for, for this people in this room, this local community. In Ephesians 20, Paul is he, he, he's speaking to, to these local elders of this local church in Ephesus. And he, he says, hey, be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He's speaking about a local church. And he's saying that local church, care for it because God purchased her with his own blood. I wonder if that informs the way you view community, the way you value community. Jesus loves village church so much that he purchased her with his own blood. And do you love and value the church like Jesus? Part of loving Jesus means to love what Jesus loves. And I'll be the first to put my hand and say not always. And I, I like that this kind of falls right and we've been talking about the story of village we looked at some pictures recently and really from day one our church has always been for the jaded those who have are maybe a bit fed up um with church um a bit discouraged a bit disillusioned a bit distracted and and that has been my story at times um i don't always love and value the community the way jesus did I don't always treat being part of this community with the weight that, that the Scriptures say it deserves. And can I say, if that's you this morning, that's okay as well. Um, I'm glad you're here. Jesus is glad you're here. It might just be that one, I'm going to try, I'm going to go one more time. There's something significant in that. Um, the Scriptures show us that um, 
even though Jesus has dealt with our sin on the cross, even though we, we now have, can experience community with him without that sin barrier, that, but we, we do still experience the effects of sin. We are still sinful in that way. Um, we hold on to that Revelation 21 hope that what we're moving towards is God living amongst his people, wiping away all tears and death and sin. There is that, that hope of future perfected community. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we still mess up. We still get things wrong. We have in the past. We will continue again. We will fail you. Uh, but that's not why we love and value the church. We love and value the church because of the gospel, because of uh, what Christ has, it, he's obtained it with his blood. Like all of this stuff informs why we love and value the church. The glory of being gospel-shaped people is we, even in our sinfulness, we continue to look to Jesus, who's called the, the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's given us the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to, uh, to, to make us blameless uh, before the Lord. No perfect church. It's messy, but it's a beautiful community uh, because it's a gospel uh, community. I hope that biblical overview of community, like I said, doesn't just fill your head, but fills your heart, gives you a, a, fresh, a fresh understanding, a fresh vision of like what you're a part of. You're part of God's purposes of creation. Jesus loves his bride, the church, creating this people who know him and experience his presence. That's been his plan from the beginning. Um, let that encourage you. Let that spur you on. That's kind of the why. And I just want to spend the last kind of five minutes looking at what, a little picture of what that actually looks like. Um, turn over to Acts 2 as we end. Acts 2, you get this beautiful picture of a Christian community. Um, it's really this snapshot of the early church, and it shows us what life inside a community that has been absolutely gripped and, and shaped by the gospel, what that looks like. What does, a go- what does a community look like that's been gripped and shaped by the gospel? And just remember, we're not just any community in the world, we're a community that has been shaped by the gospel. And look at verse 42. The background of this is, this is just after Pentecost, so the disciples were, were all together, and the Holy Spirit, which Jesus, there's so much to say, but Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on them and says like a, like a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house, uh, fell on each of them. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter then gives this, this Holy Spirit-inspired and filled sermon, this gospel sermon, and, and 3,000 men and women uh, become believers and join their community um, I don't know what we would do if that happened. Um, but look at verse uh, 41, the result of them being shaped by the gospel and, and just astounded by the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so uh, those who received the word were baptized and uh, there were added about 3,000 souls. 40, verse 42, this is a picture of the gospel shaped, uh, a community shaped by the gospel. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And now, obviously, every church around the world is going to look slightly different depending on their kind of context. But what I think what you see in this passage is, is a, a people, a community of believers who are devoting themselves and committing themselves to the gospel, to community, and to mission. Just why we, we, we shape our, um, our mission statement in that way. This is a community who have got, are centering themselves and committing themselves to the gospel, to community, and to mission. 
They're a gospel-shaped community of people who love Jesus because of what he's done for them. They love each other because of what he's done for them, and and they love their neighbors. And they're actually joining God as, as this renewal of all things is happening in their midst. This snapshot of what it looks like. They're devoting themselves to the teaching of the gospel, to the fellowship, breaking the bread and the praying. This devotion because of what the church is because of what Jesus has done and brought them into. That's verse 42, this devotion. Verse 43, this anticipation of the supernatural work of God. They understand that, that lesson from Abraham and Sarah and, and, and Israel that, that it's this, this work of God, the supernatural work of God is, 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 is amongst them. It's not about what they can do. It's about what the supernatural work of God can do. And they were filled with awe. Verse 44, they were deeply committed to one another. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Um, go do a word study sometime on that word common, this, this word koinonia. It's the same word as, as uh, that word fellowship in verse 42. It's this, this deep commitment to one another, this togetherness, this, this type of community that God created you to experience. Verse 45, they had the spirit of generosity. They, they were outward focused, not inward. They, they didn't hold on to their things with a mind. This is mine. No, they were concerned about the need of the other. Their stuff didn't matter to them anymore. Verse 46, the more deep fellowship, togetherness. Daily they're together, not once a week. They didn't have their like, oh, our, we gather on a Sunday and our MC is on a Tuesday. No, it's day, life together. They're brothers and sisters now. Their life is together. They're, Paul says that you are, you are members of one another. You belong to one another now. Even new identity changes the way they do life. And the result of the, this community of love is mission, which we'll unpack next week. But in verse 47, the Lord is adding to the community day by day. This beautiful picture of a community that is utterly astounded and profoundly shaped by the gospel. They take devotion to each other seriously. And the result of that love for the other is mission. Where are you at with that? Are we so shaped by the gospel that we have that kind of devotion, this eternal devotion? It's not a here and now, my stuff, my things. None of that matters anymore. It's all about what God is doing. And what's the, and a, what's the next step for you? Um, we've all been around a different, uh, different amounts of time. Maybe for you it's just committing to be present, to be, to be here. Um, that's good. That's, that's a necessary step of, of belonging. No one just comes and becomes a member on day one. Um, wouldn't let you do that. Like it's, 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 a, it's a process of belonging. Maybe it's just you need to, I'm going to be here. I'm going to commit to being present and we have an intro class next week. Maybe it's, 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 maybe it's time to, to look at becoming a covenant member, to, to, to committing to, to being known as much as knowing, committing to, to serving as much as being served, to, uh, to holding others accountable as, as well as others holding you accountable, this, this deep family commitment. Maybe you just need to serve. Um, there's, church during this, COVID. Look at y'all, like you have masks, like it's a weird time to be the church. There's not a lot of opportunities on a Sunday to, to serve. There's still a need for that, um, right, Phil? Yes. Um, but most of your serving is going to be done in your MC families, life scattered together. Um, don't, don't fall into the trap that thinks Sunday is the main thing. Like the lifeblood of village is missional community. I won't get into that. That's next week. Um, maybe you need to serve. Um, what does it look like to enter into that Acts 2 devotion to one another, loving Jesus, loving each other as brothers and sisters, and that love does something? Um, I hope that gives you a, a fresh vision again, a fresh um, full heart for what you are part of, um, God's eternal purposes, um, this morning I was just praying for those in our community that I know are lonely, that are hurting, 
and this is everything for all of us, um, that you're, what you're going through is, can be deep, can be painful, um, but it's temporary, and you've been brought into something that is eternal. And there's this knowing God that can be found amongst his people that is nowhere else. Um, and that's what I'm excited about the next while. I don't know what church is going to look like in the autumn. I don't know what missional communities are going to look like. Gathering around tables in each other's homes, that's village. And when we can't do that, it's hard. Um, but we're going <laughs> to, Jesus is building this church. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. No virus, like it's, this is nothing new to the church throughout history. And um, we will continue, we will get creative, we will belong to one another. Um, let's have a fresh vision for what that looks like, that devotion. Um, let's stand and pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that we get to be called your people. We thank you that you, uh, because of what you've done, because of your faithfulness, because of your faithfulness to death, that we get to be counted as faithful, that we get to be counted as righteous. We get to be called sons and daughters with God when we don't deserve that. We have done nothing to, to deserve entering into that family, but you in your love and your mercy that has been for us for all eternity, Lord, you let us partake. Um, and we want to, oh, we don't want to enter into that lightly. Um, we just confess that we do cheapen that message. We do um, just wake up and go about our own way. But Lord, give us a fresh vision again for what you've brought us into, what the purpose of this community is. Uh, sharpen us again, Lord. Um, Spirit, uh, do what only you can do in this community. We thank you that, that, that the success of this community is, is, is based on your work, Jesus, not on ours. Help us to rest in that every day. So when things too get hard, when we do mess up, it's okay because it's not about us. It's about us turning to you again, Lord, looking to the cross again and being shaped by that. We thank you for the church, Lord. Give us a fresh love for your church. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.